Welcome back everyone to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, the Christmas season is here. We're so excited to be having Christmas services at each of our outposts this year throughout Christmas weekend, December 22nd through the 25th. Check out church.one for your outpost times to join us for Christmas carols, a Christmas message, and to be filled with the holiday spirit. In at number four, did you know that every Tuesday night of this Advent season, a bunch of people gather online for a Christmas sing-along event? Well, it's true and it's awesome. Each Tuesday night, they learn the backstory of a Christmas hymn, listen to a few renditions, and then sing along. Group-wide high five to all those sharing in this holiday cheer. Go to church.one and click groups to join in on the final Christmas hymn along of this season, this Tuesday night at 6.30. Here at number three, last Saturday, over 250 people gathered at our Rutland Outpost for their winter wonder town. They enjoyed bounce houses, a hot chocolate bar with all the yummy fixings, and guests even got to decorate their own sugar cookies. High five Rutland to sharing God's love with your community. Up at number two, if you haven't already heard, students grades five through seven met last Wednesday for a game night at our Bedford Outpost, and it was a blast. They played basketball, battled it out in some Nerf gun wars, and even sang karaoke. Way to go, guys. If you're a student grades 5 through 12 who wants to join in on the fun, check out church.one slash students to find out more. And finally, up at number one, we're celebrating Beatrice and Eleonora and how God is moving in their lives. Last Sunday, they were baptized at our Bedford Outpost, and it was a beautiful celebration of their faith in Jesus. They've been sharing in some sweet time of reading the Bible together and dreaming about their walk with Jesus. Way to go, girls. This high five goes out to you today. Thanks for joining us for our high five, and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. Christmas is wonderful. Christmas is filled with wonder. And I think sometimes, like, I think sometimes we can lose the wonder, the wonder of Christmas. Like, I was thinking as we're, we're going through a series called Simply Christmas, and we're talking about different things that, to make simple on Christmas, and this week it's about simply wonderful. And I thought about it, it's easy to lose wonder sometimes. Little kids, they know how to get wonder, but I was thinking about things that kill our wonder. I think sometimes, like, I think tradition and ritual can be beautiful, but sometimes we can get into the motion of something and not really pierce the significance of something and wonder. I think sometimes distraction. We live in a world of distraction, don't we? We live in a world of a lot of distraction, and it's easy to lose wonder just because there's so many other things that fill up the spaces of our lives. I thought about fear and, and worries. I probably shouldn't do it now, but if I had to ask, like, what are you worried about? Like, all of a sudden, it can cause you to lose the wonder, all the... And then I was thinking about wonder. Like, I was wondering about wonder. It's kind of funny, but I was wondering about wonder, and I thought about there's two different sides of wonder. There's this wonder that kind of asks questions. Like, I wonder. I wonder if it'll snow on Christmas, right? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what family is going to show up. 
I wonder what those conversations are going to be like. Like, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, for little kids, I wonder what gift I'm going to get. And so there's, that, there's kind of that questioning kind of wonder. But then there's this other side of wonder. It's like the awe side of wonder. The, I don't know, standing on a mountaintop and looking at God's creation type of wonder, or the ocean and trying to figure out, like, how big that thing is type of wonder. It's the stars in the sky and us staring at them in the midst of it and wondering, like, how can we be of any value to God in the midst of such a giant creation that's that type of wonder? And I was thinking about how easy it is to lose wonder. So we do a memory verse together every week. We do a memory verse together. It's the same verse throughout a series. And this one is this beautiful, it's this beautiful Christmas message in Luke chapter 2. And so it's going to be on the screen here in a second, and, and I'm going to ask that we read it loud together. I love reading in this. For those of you at the Baptist Church, I, I love reading, like saying Scripture inside this building to hear the church say Scripture. And so we're going to say it together. We, we, we read that together with me. It says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, I don't know how many times in your life, maybe that's your first time for hearing it. Maybe that is your hundredth time for hearing that. But here's what I know is that sometimes we can lose the wonder of that. That Jesus was born to us. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. We can lose wonder. And I kind of want to recapture the wonder. And I've been praying in the midst of this message of, God, help us to recapture the wonder of who you are. I said earlier that kids, kids, they know, that kids have wonder. I love, don't you love watching little kids? They have wonder. So I like to, I like to visit a surplus store sometimes. I don't know if you've got any surplus people, surplus stores. I will find myself in them somewhat often. And every time I walked right past this wall of snow globes, because how many snow globes can you see in your life? I don't know. But the other day I took my seven-year-old, my seven-year-old little Pip, and I noticed she walked up to this wall of snow globes that I walked past over and over and over again, and I watched her hold it in her hand, and I watched her watch this little, this little scene, this little image inside this little world, and I watched her eyes with wonder. She's like, Dad, can I, can I get it? And she's seven, and she's cute, and, how, and her name's Pip. How can I say no to that? <laughs> And so she got it, and I watched her as she just stared at her little snow globe, and I thought, what happens to me sometimes? What is it sometimes in my life that gets so busy and so crazy or so distracting or I worry about so much that, that I can lose my sense of wonder? When I think about Christmas, Christmas is simply wonderful. And when I say wonderful, I mean Christmas is filled with wonder. And in the midst of everything we will do, in the midst of, you know, us saying, okay, we're going to gather here and sing some song and be a part of the service, my prayer is that we might not miss the wonder of God, of, of God becoming flesh, of God becoming a baby. Like, that's, I, we're used, I suppose, to the Christmas story, but that's astounding. God becoming a baby it is strange. I don't know if it's appropriate to say it's weird, but it's something that is very intriguing, isn't it? There's something in that to wonder about. In Luke chapter 1, 
we stare at this. I don't know if you'd call it a snow globe, but you stare at this little picture that Luke gives us of Mary being told that she's going to have a baby. And it's a passage that's filled with wonder, so we're going to look at it. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33 says this. It says, in the sixth month, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. Now the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel said to her, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him, you are to call him Jesus. Now he, he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. I thought about that. That is a lot for a 14-year-old, 15-year-old to try to wonder about. Whose life is just coming together that's about to start, in some estimations, perhaps falling apart. But I was intrigued. I wondered about, I wondered about why Luke began with Elizabeth. When Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy, and I'm like, I wonder why that's there. That's good to do with scripture sometimes. I wonder why that's there. Why, why is Luke putting that? Elizabeth, we're talking about Mary. We're talking about Mary. Why are we talking about Elizabeth? In, in, in Elizabeth's six months of pregnancy is how Luke starts this, like, this section. And you're like, what are we, why are we talking about Elizabeth? If you read the beginning of Luke, there's a guy named Zechariah who's a priest. And he has a wife named Elizabeth. And, and they're both old. And I get the sense that their entire lives they've been having, trying to have children. But she's barren. I don't know all of the weight that that carried. But my guess is as she's old in age and they've come to the conclusion that the possibility is gone. Well, Zechariah's in the temple. Zechariah's in the temple and God appears to him in the temple and he tells him that he's going to have, or an angel appears to him in the temple and he says that he's going to have, he's going to have a baby. And Zechariah's like, how is this going to happen? Because I'm old. Which sounds a lot like an Old Testament story. If you, if you know of a guy named Abraham who's told that he's old and his wife is barren and, and this is generations and generations and generations earlier, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a baby. And, and, and they're like, how, how does this happen? Why would Luke start with Elizabeth in the sixth month of her pregnancy? Maybe Luke is wanting us to hear, there is nothing that God can't do. There is no emptiness that God can't fill. There is no problem so hard, no solution so dead that God cannot provide a way. And now he's about to do it again. Isn't that awesome? Like, don't you sit and wonder about that? In the sixth month of Mary, of Elizabeth's pregnancies, an angel, because God is always up to something. Please never forget that God is always up to something. He's up to something, even at this moment. God is always up to something. And now an angel is appearing to a young woman named Mary in a very significant town, 
Old Testament speaking about a baby who's going to be born to her. And this is what he says. He says, you who are highly favored, God is with you. Do not be afraid. You who are highly favored, God is with you. I was wondering about that. I'm a wonderer. If you know, I'm a wonderer. I was wondering about that. I'm like, what? I'm like, there's probably two things in our life that probably more than two that we struggle with sometimes. Who am I? Like, who am I? Like, that, that kind of that, that struggle that we sometimes have. Who, who, who am I? And God says, you who are highly favored. Mary, you who are highly favored. And now I, I come to the belief that Mary was an ordinary person, a young girl, like, trying to figure life out. And God says, this is who you are. You are highly favored. The angel says to her, you are highly favored. And I thought about that. You are, you are highly favored. And we struggle with who am I? And sometimes I worry about what everybody else thinks I am. And, and usually that's not the struggle always. Sometimes the struggle is who I think I am. And what really matters in life is not who other people think I am or who, who I think I am. It's who God says I am. And what God says to Mary, I think he says to us too, is that you are highly favored. And I thought about the other struggle that we often have is not only who am I, but God, where are you? Particularly in our lows. God, where are you? Mary, you, you are highly favored and God is with you. And I know that's exactly where God is at now. God is with us. Which is strange. Please, I think it's something that we can wonder about even in this moment. This, this crazy, wonderful thought that God is with us. God is present with us right now. That's astounding. Like when you, I don't know about you, but that's astounding to me. That God is present with us and not only present with us because that's not where God stopped. God is dwelling inside you. That if you are in Jesus, what, the promise is that if you are walking with Jesus, that his Holy Spirit is, is now living inside you. I, I, trying to comprehend, trying to wonder about God being with us is like... Part of it, but trying to understand that God is at work inside me right now, that's equally astounding, if not more. Like, that's something to wonder. Mary, you who are highly favored, God is with you. And Mary's like, I'm troubled by this. Why is she troubled by this? I wonder. Because whenever God says, whenever an angel comes to you, which, which might be troubling in and of itself, uh, but whenever an angel comes to you and says, you who are highly favored, God is with you, you're like, okay, what's next? <laughs> right? It's the kid coming to you. Coming to you. Anyways. Um, it's like, hey, okay, what's next? What's, what's coming next? And it says Mary was troubled trying to figure out what kind of greeting this might be. And God says, Mary, you're highly favored. The angel says, Mary, you're highly favored. And then we'll go on to say, I start to realize... When you talk about favors, like, okay, well, what is the favor of God? You are favored. You are favored by God, and God is present with you. Hold on. Take those two, two truths home. If you take nothing else, you are favored by God, and he is with you. But you're like, okay, what does the favor of God mean? And what I started to realize is, is the favor of God isn't fuzzy. I know that's a weird way to say it, but it's not, it's not all frilly. The favor of God, like we often like, oh, I want the favor of God, which we do. You definitely want the favor of God. But that does not mean that God's favor upon your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be all smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly. Because if you look what happens to Mary, he says, Mary, this is what's going to happen. You're going to conceive. And you're going to give birth to a son. And I wondered if she had like a, uh-oh, what are we up for moment. A whole question of biology, God. How is this all going to work out? 
And then I thought, I wondered if she thought about, okay, the favor of God, but the favor of God means, what is this relationship with Joseph is going to look like? Like, how am I going to explain this to him? Because it's not the most believable, perhaps, you know, explanation to your husband of like, uh, I'm pregnant, honey. And you're like, <laughs> we got to talk about this. And then Joseph's parents, and then, and then Mary's parents. And, and then I realized it doesn't even stop there. It is like the whole community, a 14-year-old girl. How do you wrestle with all of this? And how in heaven's name is this the favor of God? And I realized the favor of God can carry some weight with it, that I want the favor of God, that God gives his favor, that God gives his presence, but that does not always mean that it's going to be easy, but it is wonderful. It is wonderful, because this is what he says. He says, a Savior is going to be born to you from the, from the line of David, and he will sit on the throne of his father, David, forever, and his kingdom will never end. Christmas is simply wonderful. Christmas is simply wonderful, but Christmas is simply wonderful. Why? Because Jesus is simply wonderful. Jesus is simply wonderful. I don't know. I'm just going to ask this question, and then we can wrestle with it about it, wrestle about it together. Like, what would it be like to hold God in your hands? That's a weird question. What would it be like to hold God in your hands? I have five kids, and you can pray for me. Um, <laughs> three, in, three in high school teenagers, so you can get on your knees and pray for me. <laughs> but I remember the... Uh, I remember the first time we were in the doctor's office with my pregnant wife, and they shoot this goo on her belly and rub it around, and they always say, it's going to be cold, it's going to be a little cold. And then they take these paddles and they put them on her, her stomach. And then you start to hear this, for the very first time. I'm like, what is that? That is wonderful. There are these passages in the Old Testament that is this little heartbeat, this little, little glimpses of the promises of God. There's these verses like Walter read about the government will be upon his shoulders. One will come. One will come into the mess of earth and humanity. One will come in the midst of my mistakes and sins and failures. One will come in the midst of foreign oppressors. One, oppressors. One will come in the midst of everything, and he will show up, and he will be a wonderful counselor. He will be a mighty God. He will be a prince of peace. He will be an everlasting father, and of his government there will be no end. One will come. And then as you watch, as you read through the Old Testament, please do it. As you read through the Old Testament, as you read what some of the prophets will say, they'll talk about a shoot from the stump of Jesse. They'll talk about the, these, these beautiful moments where this hero of ages will show up for his people, and that God will dwell his, with his people, and he will be with them, and, and he will be their God. And, and there's these passages in Isaiah that will pop up again later at the end, but we won't get there yet. The heartbeat of God, the promise, the promise of someone coming. So there's this guy named Simeon. Strange story, wonderful story. There's this guy named Simeon. 
What a weird part in the biblical narrative. Like, he's told by God, told by the Holy Spirit that he will not die until he sees the anointed one, until he sees the Messiah, until he sees this hero come. And we're talking about the hero. We're talking about from generations and generations. We're talking about the heartbeat of the Old Testament that someday, someday God will show up among his people and he will be our deliverer and he will be this mighty warrior and this, this wonderful counselor that he will be the Prince of Peace that someday he's going to show up. And Simeon, Simeon is told that he will not die until he sees him. That's amazing. That's wonderful. That's amazing. And so Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, 40 days later, they, they walk him to Jerusalem, to the temple. Because you were too... Dedicate your firstborn male to God. And so Mary and Joseph are taking baby Jesus to the temple as he's 40, 41 days old. And Simeon over here is moved by the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, the time is now. Which tells you something about listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, <laughs> I don't know what I, I you know, I, I'm busy or, or I got other things or now's not the time. But the Holy Spirit says, no, now's the time. And so, so you have this moment where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are on their way to the temple and Simeon's told, I want you to go to the temple right now. And in the Old Testament, where did you meet God? You met God. Where did you meet God in the Old Testament? You would meet him in the temple. And there was this, these prophecies in the Old Testament. No, not the prophecies. There was, the Old Testament said that in the temple was the place where you would come to meet with God and Lo and behold, Simeon's coming to the temple to meet with God. And that's where we pick up more of the story in Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male must be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the hero. He's waiting for the one who will come. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Now, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. I wonder what it would be like to hold God. Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which has appeared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the world, and glory for your people Israel, the child's father and mother. They marveled, they wondered at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon was going to the temple to meet God. Only this time, God had a belly button that's weird. I say that halfway out of humor and halfway out of wonder. That God had toes and maybe a tuft of hair on his head. 
And Simeon had heard the promise, but now he's holding the person. He had heard the promise, but he's holding the person. And so what do we wonder about? You wonder about what God has done. You wonder about what God has done, and you can talk about that historically, about what God has done. You talk about like what God has done in history. What God has done in your life, you think about that personally, what God has done, like you're here. Like, that's something. You're here. That's something. In the midst of all the mess and the ups and downs of life, and when I hear, I don't mean, I don't mean just in, in a church building, I mean you are here. You're alive right now, which for some of us, that is a miracle in and of itself. It's, actually, every day it's a miracle, but. And so we wonder about what God has done. We wonder about what God's doing. There's this passage in Scripture that, man, it is ooh, anchored to my heart. It says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Because sometimes I'm pretty good at trying to stop that process. Sometimes I can be pretty good at some detours along the way. And what God says is, no, the reminder is like, no, no. He who began something in you will see it through to completion. And like, praise God. Because I need him to do it. And I will work with him in it because it's, it is by grace alone, but, but there is also this moment of like, okay, like, there's some type of role I have in the midst of it, and so God, help me to keep growing. So you look at what God is doing, and finally, you look what God will do. Some of what the prophets had said in the past about the one who will come will reappear at the end. In Revelation, towards the end, it'll talk about this new heaven and new earth that will come out of heaven. And it says these beautiful, wonderful things that sometimes are just too hard to believe. It says something like this, and God will dwell with his people and he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. And I thought about the tears of our world. But you don't really have to look at the tears of our world either. I can just think about your own tears because there's, there's some weight to those tears. And it says he will wipe every tear from their eye and, and, and that there will be no more death and that there will be no more mourning. And that's hard to believe sometimes. No more death, no more mourning. And, and for God himself will be with him. And there won't even be a need for the sun. And I wonder about that. There will, no more need for the sun because God's glory will shine brightly. And you're like, man, I wonder about that. And so we, we wonder about God, what God will do. And there's a lot of beautiful things there's a lot of beautiful things to wonder about there. But you know what's equal, equally wonderful for, somewhat, for some of us all the more complicated and unbelievable? Because this is what I think is weird. Some of us can get there that Christmas is simply wonderful, and some of us that can get there that Jesus is simply beautiful. But sometimes what we struggle with, and it's going to sound a little weird at first, but I, I, I bet that we have all felt this at some point in our lives is that you are simply wonderful. That you are simply wonderful. Now, if you're like me, there's this jerk reaction to respond to that of like, oh, I, know, I know me, you know you. <laughs> simply wonderful? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but find eternal life in him. 
Why did God send his son into the world? He didn't send his son into the world. And this, we sometimes mess this up. We sometimes get this confused. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Sometimes we think that's our job. He sent his son into the world so that the world, that the world might find life in him. You were loved by God. And you are simply wonderful. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 will say this. For you created my inmost being. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what has been done to you, you have been created by God, which makes you inherently wonderful, filled with wonder. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. And your works, God, all your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God doesn't make mistakes. And I realize that sometimes that's what we struggle with. To say, I am, I'm loved by God, I'm known by God. There's this beautiful scripture that says this, this is love. Not that you loved God. Because that's how sometimes we get our estimations. Not that I loved God, but that God loved us. And sent his son for us. To become the one who would stand in the gap so that in him we could find life. And that is simply wonderful. And that is simply beautiful. And you are simply wonderful. Jesus is gathered together in the upper room with his kids, with his, just kids, yeah, maybe, with his beautiful disciples. And he takes the bread. And this is what he says to them. He says, this is my body. This is my body that has been given for you. And whenever you do this, which is now, like it's at this moment, he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to know that you are passionately and deeply loved by God. And I want you to know that too. He says, this is my body given for you. And so we gather together and we take this in remembrance of our king. And so we take to our king. And then he takes the wine, he takes the juice, and he says, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. And he says, whenever you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, of remembering that the baby grew up. And sometimes we were looking for the king. And the world was looking for the king. And instead of a crown of thorns, instead of a crown of gold, he got a crown of thorns. Instead of a kingly robe, he took on a robe of those who were mocking him. He did it all for us, which is simply wonderful. He says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we do this to our king. Would you all stand with me? Maybe you are here this evening, and praise God that you are. You are wonderful. And sometimes that, that, we have, that, that changes our perspective on people, that you, people are wonderful. Scripture says we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. We see them differently. We see them as those who are loved by God. And so you wonderful people, I know that life is hard. I know there are a lot of struggles along the way, and so every opportunity that we get, we like to have people who are ready and willing to pray with you. And so Luke is here, and Tammy is here, and I'll be not there. 
Um, but if there's any way that we could be praying for you, uh, we would love to pray for you. And maybe today's the day that you're just, you're ready to step into wonder. That you're ready to, to say, God, I know that you're for me. I know that you're not against me. And Lord, the only right response I can give to you in my reaction to what you have done for me is to give myself for you. Behind me is this baptistry and there's no time like the present to be baptized into Jesus. And so if you are ready this day to, to be baptized into him, I'll be down here in front and if you want to come meet with me, we'll, we'll talk about it. And you get to join the family of God. We all pray with me. Father God, I thank you for a few moments of wonder. And Lord, I pray that no matter how old we are, no matter what life experience we've had, that we might return to you again with a childlike faith. That we might come to you in simplicity of the wonder of Christmas. That we might stare at Jesus beyond anything else and be captured by a God who loves us so much that he would become a baby. That he would die on a cross. Raised to life again and with him all of our hopes to know that we can follow him there. And we thank you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Jesus, Lord.
Christ the Savior.